of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny. Hot toddy. Good to be with you again, friends, as we delve into another episode of the Monster Mash. You know the format by now. Uh, it's not a genre, it's not a director, and, and even though Professor and I accidentally picked the same director, that's on me. Um, <laughs> I guess but, we didn't get the memo. Yeah, right, but we just... we. Pick a film that we probably wouldn't otherwise cover in length elsewhere, and we talk about them. And I'm Grizzly Abner, and I chose The Fun House. Professor Wagstaff here. I picked Life Force. Hey, it's Vinny. I picked The Hunchback from 1997. And Hot Toddy chose Bones. Bones. We're going to start with mine tonight. Fun House. Toddy, what are the dates and details? Well, since you just seen the name of it, but we'll go again. The Fun House, 1981, directed by, I don't know, is it Toby or Tobey? <laughs> Sorbet. <laughs> Sorbet Hooper. Sorbet Hooper. Hooper. Uh, starring Elizabeth Barrage, Sean Carson, Gian Austin, Jack McDermott, Kevin Conway, and uh, special effects by Rick Baker. Ooh, Ricky Baker. Hmm. How about that? It's a real simple premise, and I took notes because I was real nervous about how bad I botched Edge of the Axe on one of our previous matches. Um, so, uh, it's a real simple setup. Um, big sister's going on a date, and uh, they tell her not to go to the carnival, but guess what? Her going to the carnival. You can't tell her nothing. And uh, her little brother wants to go to the carnival. But she says she's not going to take him to the carnival for reasons we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Um, and they go to the carnival, and all of a sudden they get mixed up in a weird situation. And so that's the basic setup. This is only my second time watching the film. And I don't remember it the first time around, so it was fun to revisit. It was a pleasurable revisit. Bought it on DVD for like a buck at a DVD sale, and glad I got it. Surprise. <laughs> Uh, this is probably my third or fourth viewing. Um, specifically, I think having Toby Hooper direct it is what has kept it on the radar uh, first and foremost. For, but yeah, most um, you know, I, I know obviously we'll get into to more of the specifics on it, but I think that it's got some very uh, enjoyable classic tropes uh, that it leans heavily into that make it a fun watch. But yeah, this is probably my third or fourth viewing. This is the first time I've seen it. And I think, I thought that I had seen it. I believe that I've seen clips, but I have, I've never watched this in its entirety, so this is the first time for me. Which is cool that we're not a poser show. We got no problem saying when it's our first time. Oh, yeah. Which I would think this would have been up your alley a long time mm -hmm. ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this has got Benny written all over it. I've seen it a few times, but it, I think I bought it when Scream first Yeah, this put was it one out. of their first So it was early, releases. and I don't think I have... Pro it's, it's been a long time since I watched it, so it's been a while. Okay. 
So let's get into it. Just some basic or more advanced details here. So uh, we start with a great creepy animatronic intro. They're showing all the different animatronics from around the carnival and it's a great creepy setup. You get the carnival music that you know and love. Then we move right into uh, older sister earlier, as we talked about, going in for a shower. And just like the great 80s trope of the little brother creeping on his sister while nude to play a prank. Oh, sis, bodacious boobies. <laughs> okay, good. I was hoping somebody would reference that. <laughs> that's the beginning of this weird trend. Todd owns that line. So this, yeah, that's, that's definitely a Todd line, which is a callback to Night of the Demons. Um, I think this also happened in Chud 2, but the Chud. Night so, of the Creeps also, maybe? Is that one? There's a There's number a, of these movies yeah. that have it. If it was the 80s, you had to have a creeper, creeper brother. Yeah. And so, but what is fun about it, as weird as it is, uh, it's a POV stalking sort of thing. You think you're getting into a killing, and then it directly rips off Psycho. The music. Well, the before that, they're ripping off Halloween. Well, yeah, right, with the mask, POV yeah. through the eyes. Yeah, the so sister, little brother. Halloween, yep. take your pick, yeah. Yep. So mm-hmm. bodacious boobies, etc. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, a fun start. Uh, check that off the list. Check it off of the trope list, and then we cut to again the parents warning about don't oh, don't go to that carnival. It was that's the same carnival that was in such and such town, and somebody got killed there. And they're like, all right, whatever, Dad. Then she goes out and meets her creepo like, of a black. Like my dad says, once a carny, always a carny. <laughs> We apologize to any carnies listening to our show at this point. No, we don't. Small so. hands and smell like fish. <laughs> <laughs> and so she goes out and meets her kind of jerk of a boyfriend. They go pick up her friends. They go to the carnival. And one of the first weird things that happens is her friend is trying to talk her into giving it up to her boyfriend this <laughs> evening. And all of a sudden, an old bag lady comes into the bathroom. <laughs> God is watching you. <laughs> Hate it when that happens. <laughs> Old person warning the others. Check. <laughs> Bingo. Another trope. Um, then the brother decides he's going to sneak out of the house. Corey Haim silver bullet style. Worse than Carl Grimes, this kid. <laughs> Carl, stay in the house. <laughs> Where's Carl? Not in the house. And so this kid, trying to get out, he's trying to make his way to the carnival because he wants to go, oh, she told him, after he pulled that prank on her while she's nude, that she's not taking him to the carnival this week. That's punishment. And she's going to get him back. She's going to get him back. Now he's on his way to the carnival after he sneaks out. Guy pulls, o- <laughs> Guy pulls over. Hey, kid, need a ride? And the kid's like, uh... And the guy just... Pulls a gun on the kid and starts laughing when the You'll kid have that. away. If I had a dollar for every time that happened. Oh, that's a great scene. Great scene. He's like, ah, 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 ah. So, hey, for a good time, threaten kids with guns. It's tight. It's hilarious. Hell yeah. So uh, they get there and it's, I think what I really enjoy about the film is just the classic carnival sights. Mm-hmm. The rides, the lights, the tents. Um, obviously, by the time we were coming of age, some of those tents were disappearing, yeah. many of them, but you still had a handful of them. I remember seeing a couple of freak shows. As a we kid. didn't get no hoochie-coochie tents. No, no hoochie-coochie tents growing up, fuckers. Um, <laughs> and so they go to an animal freak show. 
they go to uh, uh, a strange magician Dracula <laughs> magic show, which is pretty fun. Um, they go to see a fortune teller, and they really piss her off. Um, but what I love is that there's a barker for every tent. Uh, for those of you who don't know the term, there's someone trying to lure you into this attraction. Carney folk take offense to that term. <laughs> oh, do they? They're they a talker. Talker, not yeah, a barker. Uh, Joe Barker. Joe Barker, yes. But they probably don't have cell phones and podcasts, so that's fine. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're dead. Next time poor Jack comes to town. And Good thing I don't like going outside and doing things. <laughs> Continue. But what's fun is the same actor plays the Barker at every tent, and he just looks different. It was a, it was a nice touch. Yeah. Nice touch. Because it's enough to where you're like, man, these carnies all look the same. <laughs> But it wait, it is the same. <laughs> wait. Um, then they go through the fun house, and there's some questionable content with how they portray people from around the world as cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> then they go to the burlesque tent, but they can't get in because they're not all of age. And so they go around back or the hoochie coochie tent. That's right. Then he called it, and they cut a hole to watch. <laughs> it's all. I, I say all this not because it's important to the story, but it sets the scene. You know what I mean? It gives you the feel yeah. of being... And because you're worried about details. Yeah, right, right. Because <laughs> we're going we're, we're to get very specifically non-giallo in this because <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. So I have to... i got to fill these talking points here uh, well enough. They catch an old man being a peeper like they are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he's the pervert. Hashtag party. <laughs> right. So then they get this idea that they are going to hide in the funhouse overnight when it shuts down so that they can all score, right? That's yeah. really what's And because happening. some other friends of theirs claim they did that in a different town. Yeah. So the girls call home. Sally's staying at Sarah's house. Sarah's, Sarah's staying at Sally's house. You know, the old setup. See where yeah. your parents are. Like, Which oh. you could do all 52 weekends of the year at a campsite. <laughs> but that's fine. Let's bang at the carnival. We're going to have to hide out in the, the fun house. <laughs> And I'm so that's where we get to. Um, that's the main build up to the story. Any any thing anybody wants to say up to this point? No, uh, other than I think that this movie does a really good job. I think it's the strongest element of the funhouse is uh, kind of leaning into the celebration of all of the fandom of this. So you have everything from uh, old horror movies in the bedroom. Early on in the film. The kid's a big Frankenstein. Yeah. He's got posters on his wall and all that. And so they lean in heavily to that. And I'm glad you bring that up. Pause real quick. Because the guy who's pushing the cart into the funhouse is dressed like Frankenstein's the Frankenstein monster. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the same thing happens in a number of movies. Uh, like Friday the 13th 4, Salem's Lot. These kids that have, you know, the fandom just plastered all over their bedroom. But it really does help set the tone for a lot of that. Uh, but the way that this is photographed and not just the first act, but the whole film, it's photographed beautifully. Yeah. This movie looks so good with kind of that, I don't know, like Panavision flair that kind of was always in the Carpenter movies. Um, but it leans really heavily into setting the tone for this is going to be a fun time at the carnival. Yeah. In, in the simplest of terms. Um, and it maintains that through, but especially early on because we spend time with some of the different 
events that you have at the carnival and and the people and where they're coming from leading up to it. I, I just think it does such a good job of setting the table yeah. for that. Yeah, for sure. Any other thoughts? No, I, I as soon as we started getting into it and it was the carnival setting and sideshows and all that, I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> all right, I'm in. I'm in. Let's see where this goes. Sold. All right, so they go. They hide in the fun house. And they're hooking up. Then they hear some weird noises. And they go, and they're kind of looking around, and uh, beneath the fun house is some living quarters. Right? And they witness the fellow in the Frankenstein's monster mask receiving a hand job from... <laughs> The fortune teller. I wonder how Universal liked <laughs> the image of their Frankenstein monster getting an HJ. Uh, they like to call it a Lon Chaney. <laughs> Google romance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he pays her. Yes. Oh, and a hundred bucks to to jerk him off, and he's done in fifteen seconds. And she ain't giving him his money back. Yeah. You make a business deal, Vinny. That's what you get. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry your oil change took 30 seconds. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. And so he freaks out. And no pun intended. Oh, this never happens. <laughs> Does he take his mask off before he murders her? Or after he murders her? Classic. No, it's, it's later. Classic sexy nighttime decision. <laughs> so he murders her. And, uh, <laughs> so the people see this and they're like, oh shit, we got to get out of here. And they try to sneak out, but one of them wants to be chivalrous. Or and go make sure she's... Make sure she's not alive, right? And so, <laughs> and so he goes to check on the woman. And the freak knows that someone has been there and he freaks out and he rips his mask off to reveal I already spoiled it that he is a freak with a ginormous head so big his latex mask had to be laced up the back if you'll notice because <laughs> <laughs> it was stretched to its limits chivalry is dead and so are you bitch. yeah they're, hi- they're hiding up there and he brings his the carny talker guy back so what uh, makes him freak out ultimately is that the money is missing Yes. And so the guy who was being quote unquote chivalrous actually just went down to steal the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they found out because his lighter dropped out of his front pocket while the old man and the freakadoo were in there. And that's what sets everything off. And the old man is disappointed that the freak man gave so much money for an HJ. He said, I could introduce you to cheaper women. <laughs> Did you guys feel like. All that carnival was missing was the old man from House of a Thousand Corpses as one of the carnies to go with the other. Oh, yeah. Big time. And is that him? Is Is it? it? I don't know. I can't can't remember the actor. Turns out. (laughs) The actor is uh, uh, Conway. Twitty? Conway Twitty. Kelly Amp? Kevin Conway. Where am I? All right. You look that up. Oh, all right. Look up Kevin Conway. We're professionals, folks. Yes, absolutely. So then, the little brother, who did make his way to the carnival's creeping around, and he gets caught. All right? 
Um, so then they take and they catch one of the guys, one of the boyfriends, not the main boyfriend, the, the one with the glasses, and they hang him. Right? Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Then, then they call the, the ones who found the little brother, they call the parents to come get the little brother. Um, uh, oh boy, can't read my notes here. Lots of stuff. Took too many. <laughs> Oversold myself. What do you guys think up until this point now that the freak out and the reveal has happened? Uh, I'd like to step in real quick and say the grandpa from House of Thousand Course. That was played by Dennis Fimple. Ah, uh, yes. And, Killed him in an auto and, accident. Really? Mixed him up. Sorry. Oh, is that how he passed? I just thought it was because he was old. But uh, this movie definitely could have used a little bit of Eat your wife, pussy! <laughs> I just thought he died of shame after he saw Three from Hell. <laughs> I, uh... I'm removing myself from the show. I'm sorry for mixing him up. I'm no longer the professor. I'm just dumb, dumb wax out. <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> Before we went completely off the rails. Licorice in that pen. <laughs> Got, uh, man gets killed with an axe... Uh, We're we back onto the Edge of the Axe movie. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, the 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 friend of the main girl. She tries to stab our our freakish uh, antagonist, and um, a very weird design for something that is just supposed to be a deformed human. Yeah, it looks otherworldly. Yes, it does. It looks bestial. Yes, yes. Um. And so then the, the, the carnival barker father figure gets involved and the kids fight with him and they kill him. And then that upsets Mr. Freak Show even more. He kills the boyfriend at this point, right? Um, and then the uh, big sister hits the freak with a crowbar. And when that crowbar is stuck in him, he gets electrocuted <laughs> with the crowbar. And... Don't forget, he got his lower section caught in those gear, giant gears. That's right. He gets electrocuted, <laughs> and then he stumbles over to the funhouse gears. He gets caught in the gears, and big sister, little brother, escape the day. My man's it was hard to kill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Like Seagal. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, I'm uh, sorry for my incoherent third act of the film, but... Uh, it's fun, and I'd say you should watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's totally worth watching. I was not upset that I oh. watched this movie. This is uh, the same time period, and I don't think it was from this movie. I think it was from Supergirl, but I wanted to live in a fun house when I got older. Sure you did. And uh, a fun fact why looking up this movie, that uh, Dean Coots wrote the novelization, and I guess that there's a whole backstory, which is why the mom is a drunk and she doesn't want her kids to go to the carnival because she had the freak show baby or whatever and dumped it and all kinds of crazy stuff and and he was even more rapey in the book read it hmm. tight miss me with that one that sounds like a house of fun <laughs> um some interesting things here i i think first and foremost there's a there's a constant debate on spielberg and hooper with poltergeist sure so much of Poltergeist is in this before mm-hmm. before Poltergeist exists. And I think that's important because obviously the Amblin brand affected Poltergeist and I have no doubt that 
that Spielberg had a big impact on that. But I thought it was really unfortunate when when Hooper passed that they they really ramped up that debate. And I think this movie has a ton of flavor in it that's in Poltergeist. It's a still a very different movie and story, but I think you get a lot of elements. The music is epic. Oh yeah. Um, and so you think about this. This in a lot of ways is his big kind of arrival in theatrical releases. Yeah. Um, we have Chainsaw Massacre, we have Eaten Alive, Salem's Lot, TV, small productions. But with this, you can tell there's money behind it. Yeah. And and it looks wonderful. The music's great. There's something lacking in it, I will say. Yeah. That keeps it from being a stone-cold, top-shelf classic. For sure. But I think that that's okay because the elements that it leans into almost makes it a cliche yeah. in terms of it's so enjoyable in the sense of spending time at the carnival and we spend time with the different parts of the carnival. Mm-hmm. Um, it really embodies that environment, the the way that it's shot. It's a good-looking movie. The score is great. And I think that uh, Elizabeth Barrage that plays Amy in the main role is exceptional yeah. uh, for, for a main character, uh, final girl from that era. She's really good in it, and th- that is a pretty ballsy performance for a young girl. Um, because she's she only like eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, she does nudity in it, and and the the whole host of actions that occur within her role, she really carries the movie. Yeah, and I think that she was also probably the crush of a lot of boys back then. Um, she she's excellent in it. So I think this movie has a lot to offer from those angles. Sure. But it's also important to point out that there's some there's just one thing and I can't pinpoint it lacking from making it a go to favorite of everybody. Yeah. I, I think but it's, a little, it's got a lot of great missing. great to it. The movies well, because to say what you're saying, so this movie actually got him poltergeist because mm. Steven Spielberg. But I think this one was actually enjoyed by critics because I think and I think it's the one thing that's missing. I think people go in expecting a slasher movie. Especially um, that it came out in 1981, which you're the slasher. It's not really a slasher movie at all, um, but it's not quite a monster movie either. Um, I, I don't think people knew how to take it, and I think that people that had low expectations definitely enjoyed it more than they were expecting. So it's it's rare that, like, um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of his films were not praised by critics, except for maybe Poltergeist. Toby, yeah. Toby got... Kind of a raw deal yeah. with critics, and and he was such a meek character. And I, not to hijack the conversation, but he, they were kind of hard on him. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, yeah. And the cover art has nothing to do with the film, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks for coming out. Thanks for watching the film. Shall we move on along to the next? Would one? we recommend this to everyone? Um. Toby Hooper fans, yeah. Carnival fans, anybody? I I would recommend it. I mean, if you're I think a, it's accessible, I think it's yeah, fun, it's, I think it's a fun watch. I oh. think it's a great watch for summertime, Carnival setting, or if you're a, a really interested in Toby Hooper, those would be my two angles for you this. You know, you just want to get fingered in a funhouse. That Enjoy too, it. for sure. Is, um, Hashtag sex. Carry moving furniture. Is that thunder? That's thunder. That's thunder. Oh, I'm frightened a little. All right. Very good. Moving on to 
to The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 1997, directed by Peter Medic. Sanctuary. <laughs> and starring, uh, actually this is surprising to me, is uh, Mandy Patinkin and Richard Harris, Selma Hayek, uh, Edward Edderton, and based on the book by Victor Hugo, and it was premiered on TNT shortly after the Disney version. That is correct. I, I will say, um, when I looked up who, I was like, who, excuse me? Because I had no idea that who that was. So, good job there. I chose this one. This is another one of those where I will watch any version of this that comes out at least once. Uh, same as A Christmas Carol. And this came out, I was about 19 when this came out. And of course the Disney animated version, like you said, had just come out as well. Uh, I remember watching this when it aired. Actually, my grandma recorded it for me. Wasn't this right on top of their, their was it Scrooge that they did? Or I'm not sure. But uh, I, I, I've watched this movie sporadically over the years. And I don't know many other people that had seen it. So I wanted everybody else to watch it so that I could at least have one conversation about it. Never seen it. I didn't know this existed until nice. Benny picked it. Yeah. Nice. This is a first-time watch. I feel like I remember them when it came on TV, but I never watched it. Okay. It's a first-time watch. Because they did advertise it quite a bit. Like I say, they were capitalizing on the fact that Disney had just had that animated classic hit. So, were you going to say something, Grizz? Oh, I just, when Mary Lou Retton comes in as Tiny Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, the commercial. <laughs> this. Uh, it, it, if you're not familiar with the, the story of the Hunchback, uh, printing press has been outlawed. Uh, printing press has been outlawed. Uh, they 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 are trying to. The church is basically trying to control information and believe it to be an evil invention. Uh, Frollo finds a baby abandoned on the steps of Notre Dame. Uh, the baby is raised at the church. Uh, he is hunchbacked and physically deformed, named Quasimodo, and he is the bell ringer. For Notre Dame, and we pick up at the Festival of Fools, and they have their final thing where they're going to crown their king of the festival, and the ugliest face wins. And they people come up and stick their heads through a hole in a tarp, and everyone has a good laugh. And then the leader of the gypsies spots in the distance Quasimodo, who has come down to watch the festival a little too closely, and he is pulled up onto the stage. And presented to the public, and they unanimously decide that that is the ugliest face. And he is their king, so they put a crown on him, they parade him around. He's having a ball until <laughs> Frollo comes out and basically tells him he should be ashamed of himself for going out and uh, enjoying being a human being for five minutes. Cavorting with gypsies. Yeah, because the gypsies are out there, and a particular, particularly beautiful gypsy by the name of Esmeralda, played by Salma Hayek, who uh, Frollo is immediately smitten with. So he tells Quasimodo, the next time you leave this church, it won't, what he say, it won't be with the blessing of God 
basically. <laughs> and Quasimodo sees that Frollo is paying two guys to go do something nefarious. And he follows them, and Frollo has paid them to go kill the gypsy girl because she makes him feel lust. And Quasimodo tries to save her. She screams. The uh, Basically, the police show up. They see a freak in the streets. <laughs> and, they, the and they throw him <laughs> in the, the dungeon, and he is taken out in front of everyone and whipped with a cat of nine tails. How many lashings does he get? Fifty. And then he is left on display for an hour while everybody throws vegetables at him. Yeah, you'll have that. And while he's baking in the sun after taking an ass whooping, uh, Esmeralda makes her way up and... She gave me water. She gives him water. (laughs) (laughs) And then after his time is up, uh, he he stumbles back into into the church. Uh, Does anybody want to comment thus far? Are we going to gloss over the fact that Esmeralda... Pop locks and drops it for five minutes. Does a whole dance routine. I was going to say that she did her same routine for him from dusk till dawn. I was going to say it's cool. Uh, you know, I've I've watched different versions of the Hunchback numerous times. Sorry for the Christopher Walken cadence here, but I never had to take my shirt off to watch it until now. Common. I'm going to tell you. Uh, I don't think Esmeralda was ever cast better. Honestly. All jokes aside, this long ago, it reminds you what Selma Hayek was capable of. She's excellent in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would would venture to say born for that that role. She's fantastic in it. Yeah. She's sympathetic, but also erotic. Yes. And beautiful. Yes. She's she's worth the price of admission, among a few other things in this version. But she's really, really good in it. Because when I saw the casting, I was like, all right. Yeah, but she turned out to be really good. So I have I have to ask because you're the you're the expert on Hunchback. <laughs> uh, is this just typical of the story and the characters, or did they really take the the Disney version? Because I feel like they look a lot like the characters from Disney, but then I was like, well, maybe Disney modeled all those characters. I don't know. I would say that a lot of it is just period piece design. This is pretty standard. Um, yeah. They, they switch the importance of some of the more minor characters in the story. But by and large, you have the beautiful gypsy that always comes to the more humanistic aid yeah. of this poor soul being punished by their culture. And I would actually say that uh, Disney designed their Quasimodo very much off of Charles Lawton. I agree. Well, I think they did. Todd, do you remember watching the Charles Lawton? I do, (laughs) and I know that he is based off that, but, like, Esmeralda looks a lot like this version. Uh, Richard Harris's character looks like the cartoon looks a lot like him. There's a goat. I don't know if the goat's... The goat has always been part of the story, yeah. Um, Woo-hoo. I'd like to see Adam Sandler do a version of this. Lots of of thunder out here. Uh, But, anyway... So, so we get back. Uh, Quasimodo's had his ass whooped, uh, <laughs> and then I got at least that. according to Wikipedia, yeah, uh, Frollo frames frames the gypsy for murder. Right when I was six, frames the gypsy for murder, and because he can't have her and he wants her dead. Yeah. And so she is to be publicly executed. Classic white dude. <laughs> hey, 
hey, you turned me on. I'd like to kill you. Some small PP energy. Yeah. He he uh, gives her the ultimatum that she can be come to the church. She has the power, and she's like, as yours. And he's like, well, yeah. She spits. <laughs> I'd rather die. So they're getting ready to drop the trap out from under her and here comes Quasimodo Tarzan style on a rope grabs her takes her up as she passes out <laughs> takes her up to the very top and we get the famous line who wants to give it sanctuary there it is and the crowd cheers he has saved the gypsy's life now, I love the physics. The physics. I was just going to say the physics. <laughs> yeah, it make no sense. The physics in this one are worse than the questionable physics in the Charles. In Lundgren. all versions, so, including the silent one, this one is the most egregious. So yes, he it is. Swings down from the top of the cathedral, grabs her, then has zero momentum. Swings back. <laughs> swings back yeah, up. He grabs her. Like he's like Spider Man. He's like activate cannon. <laughs> what? <laughs> He shoots up fucking 60 feet into the air on a scaffolding. That is a rocket-powered jacket that's behind his hunch. That's also known as bullshit. (laughs) That's okay. Did you guys get the version where when he does it instead of Sanctuary, he's like, Hey, you guys. (laughs) Then he gets up there, and, and like the Charles Lawton version, he starts dumping hot oil on people. Oh, yeah. And my question is, why is there hot oil on the top of these buildings? I think it was hot lead. Isn't that what he was yelling as he was, was dumping it on them? I thought it was Crisco. Yeah, because I mean, you've got to know when to let the lead out. Whatever it is they're using for construction on the church. Because uh, of all that. You've got that scaffolding and stuff that he's climbing across. So that's why that's up there. But yeah, he starts pouring that down. Because they try to break into the church. Yeah. And then, uh, do you like the part where Frollo... Opens the door as they're getting ready to try to ram through it. They all just kind of back away. He's like, this is God's house! <laughs> then really and they all just kind of, uh, I, Can I you, you right, you right. I need you to uh, do a one-man production. I was going to say, when are we getting the one-man show <laughs> of this? So, and, and, and I'll, I'll wrap this up. Uh, Frollo sells out the gypsy. Uh, Confesses to Quasimodo what he's done, wanting Quasimodo to pity him for what he had to do because he felt lust. Uh, Quasimodo's like, "Nah, dog, I don't feel sorry for you, even though you are pitiable. Come on, let, let let's go tell everybody what you've done." And he's like, "Fuck you, bro!" And and we slaps it, hits him in the head with a cat of nine tails, and splits <laughs> Quasimodo's brow open, leaves him bloodied up. Uh, so anyway, Frollo's going to kill uh, Esmeralda, and Quasimodo says, I ain't playing that shit, dog. He stabs Quasimodo in the gut, and uh, Quasimodo tosses both of them over the side of the building, but Quasi catches himself. And then he's pulled to the top where we get our final moments with him as he's laid out and uh, croak. Mandy Patankin is my second favorite Quasimodo only under Charles Lawton. There you go. I think his performance is wonderful. Um, well, that upsets me, but <laughs> that's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, he's excellent. The makeup was surprisingly really good. Yes, it was. Um, he has completely disguised his voice. His face is unrecognizable. Completely. Um, he's really good at it. Now, I'm still a fan of there's Cheney and Lawton 
and then some other versions. But this now this is ticked up to right there. Getting in quality. I love that one. I, um, I, I think he's better than Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. I, this, this was surprising. It, it was a much higher quality than I was expecting because when you picked it, I was like, oh, Hunchback from the 90s that I grew up during but don't remember. <laughs> this probably isn't going to be very good, but it was. I, like every, Richard Harris has a brooding presence throughout the film. He's excellent in it. As we discussed, Selma, Selma Hayek is, is really good, and Manny Patinkin is excellent. Um, completely disguised. Like, if you didn't have the name in the credits and, and that, Yeah, the if, if you I didn't have the name in the credits, you'd never know that's who that was. Um, also, this is a big production. They put a lot of quality into it. Um, For a TV movie? Yeah, and this is the same director who's done a number of varied things. We've covered The Changeling, which he did on the show. Um, but he's covered a lot of bases with his filmmaking. Um, yeah, this was surprising. I, it, was, it was higher quality than I expected. Like I said, I, I knew that at first glance the, the, the cast was decent, so it wasn't going to be like some B-grade horseshit. But, yeah, it turned out good. The sets were excellent. Yes, they were. Um, it was quality. Mm-hmm. Good. It kind of fell flat for me, honestly. Um, I've never been a big person on the Hunchback story. Like, it's just never been part of my... So, do you have a problem with disabled people? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, no, I just don't have a background of watching... Did you know that Quasimodo means half-formed and also five in other languages? <laughs> <laughs> and so, the thing is, what happened was... <laughs> see what, what happened, happened was... was uh-huh. When I watched the Charles Lawton version, I was so enamored with it. Mm-hmm. I was so blown away by it. That's a tough thing to to put go up against. This Which, this just felt like a poor man's version yeah. of that to me. And that's not to say that the movie's bad. It right. Just, to me, as a casual uh, observer, it just was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. But I liked it better. And yeah. So. This, one of the higher shelves can still be good, but it's not the top shelf. Yeah. Yeah. We had also just uh, watched Hunchback right before the the burning of, of Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, I did pick that, and then the fire, they had the fire so, back when we did the Charles Lawton version. Anything bad happens to anything like related to this, Vinny's fault? I liked, I, much like the uh, Jekyll and Hyde story, I like to see each a different actor's take on those characters. So I like to see. The Jekyll and Hyde. I like to see different actors tackle Quasimodo and see what, how they portray it. Luck, sir, because Disney is getting ready to remake the live action version of theirs. Which is funny because this again was another movie, kind of a little hard to find. I think I found it on uh, YouTube. I have a feeling they're going to probably really push this movie out. I didn't have that much trouble. There are a lot of uh, like if you have a Roku TV, uh, the Roku channel itself had this movie which is what i ended up watching on just because it was a little bit better quality uh and there were a couple other streaming channel free streaming channels that had this movie available to watch too it wasn't like the onion field or anything no i did uh i did not know also that uh mandy had um was up for the role in the the animated movie and the director hated him oh wow it's kind of weird that they i'm sure they made this because they knew disney was making it but i i feel like disney stole some of the thunder of this because I think it's for a TV movie because I feel like TV movies now it depends on who who makes them they're taken a little bit more serious but usually TV movies don't get a lot of money 
I feel like a lot of money went into this. And you know that the actors who play this character, it's grueling to be in the amount of makeup they have to be in. No matter how much time has passed between productions, it's not a comfortable character to be. So I always appreciate uh, an actor putting themselves through that. Yeah, it's like I said. It I don't think it's bad. I, I did look up and I, I didn't know who any of the the makeup effects was, but I almost was expecting a big name. Yeah, with this because the the makeup was the really makeup was absolutely fantastic. The one that's always like the the show off scene is when he gets his shirt torn off to get the lashes mm-hmm. in in each movie and. Most of the time, even even Cheney's looked good for the time that it was, but I that's usually the the real show off of the makeup skills. But yeah, uh, all in all, uh, I don't know that this is a watch for everybody, but uh, I particularly if if you're into this story in any way, shape, or form, this is one of the better offerings of this. You should check it out. I agree. I think it's a recommendation for people interested specifically in the story. Um, it's not full-blown horror. It's not going to just naturally be uh, a beloved watch for everybody, but especially if you're interested in the the different versions of it, it's sure. it's a quality production. Right on. Okay, moving on. Hot Toddy, I believe your pick is next. So I chose Bones 2001, directed by Ernest Dickerson, starring Snoop Dogg as Jimmy Bones, Pam Greer, Michael T. Weiss, Clifton Powell, and uh, Catherine Isabel, which the first time I watched this, I didn't even know who she was. So, All right. This was my first time watching the film. Uh, you know, first time watch for me, which is, to be honest, kind of surprising because I've watched almost every Pam Greer movie ever made. I hadn't seen this one. Uh, this is a first time viewing for me. That's not surprising because, again, 2001, this this movie literally came out a few weeks after 9 11. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in fairness, the, the towers have dropped. I didn't want a Snoop Dogg horror movie. <laughs> uh, not a lot did. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I guess I'll just go into what it's about. So, Bones, um, he's. Uh, don't want to say, I mean, I don't know whether to call him a, a, not really a drug pusher. I guess he just sold uh, things not to harm his community, but, um. <laughs> I love your circular logic, I'm trying to stay PC on this one. Well, um, so, I mean, he's, he's not a bad guy. He's definitely out, uh, he's only looking for his neighborhood. Um, and then eventually, uh, so he has one close friend who wants out of the neighborhood and basically wants to leave it behind. And then we have some other guys that, that realize that, you know, bringing crack into these kind of neighborhoods is going to make them a lot of money. And, but, um, Bones doesn't want that to come into his community because he knows what it will do. And so he loves his community and he says no to crack because he's like, crack is whack. And they end up killing uh, Bones. Yeah. And they make everybody take a part in it, including his bodyguard. And um, Pam Greer plays Pearl, his um, his love interest. 
and she is going to be killed if she doesn't do it as well, but he brings himself up onto the knife so she doesn't have to do anything, and um, his body is hidden in his home, and 20 years later, um, we now have an empty home, and you know, much like the times, uh, going to open a nice club in it um, to bring down the, the nice kids to the neighborhood. And so we got um, two brothers and a sister and their buddy, and they're going to um, remodel the house and open it as a club. And in the meantime, they're going to live in it. And then um, they uh, inadvertently bring back a hell dog, um, which they make as a pet. And also... Um, uh, dogs gotta eat, so every time the dog eats, uh, it brings a little bit of uh, Snoop Dogg back from the dead. And dog will hunt. <laughs> that he will. And uh, so uh, eventually uh, we get uh, Pam Greer has a daughter who is interested, as well as uh, one of the brothers is interested in her. And they start a relationship, and uh, and that's the first half of Bones, I guess. Okay, Bones. Um, I want to say that I tell you what, you guys go ahead and go first. You don't want to tell us that it's like Dracula, which is just a uh, big opera. <laughs> no, my my dog needs food. <laughs> Speaking of dogs, I need food. You guys go first. Don't feed it. Did you watch the movie? Uh, with Bones. So we're just doing the first part, right? Yeah, we're about halfway. It's kind of a... It's a classic setup. Um, There's really nothing to write home about from what they set up with this. It's kind of uh, what had already been popularized, especially with Candyman and kind of exploring folklore uh, in more modern settings. Uh, It certainly taps into that. Um, I'll be honest, the the first two acts of this are kind of dull um, with Bones. Like, I, I think that they eventually slingshot into what they're aiming to achieve, but I think that the pacing's a little odd with this one. See, I would take the counterpoint. I you're, thought the, you're wrong, then. Okay. <laughs> I thought the first two acts... Um, now, granted... You need to quit feeding your dog and sit down and explain why the first <laughs> two acts are the opposite. Now, I, I totally agree with you that it's it's a rip-off, you know. It, it's, it's borrowing from Candyman, etc., but I think the storytelling in the first two acts was actually surprising to me. I, I was not expecting a cohesive story from a film called Bones starring Snoop Dogg. And uh, I, I enjoyed the first two acts. That's me. Weirdly, I agree with Grizz. Because um, the first two acts, uh, I think it's taken a little bit more serious. Where the third act, he goes full blown Freddy. So you mean you guys mean the first two acts when nothing really happens? <laughs> That's my problem with it. Like we we build up and and then we slingshot into like the revenge should have started in the second act, and instead we cram all of this shit into the third. Where the first two acts, it just kind of drags with. I don't give a shit about them setting up in this building and what they're going to do with the nightclub. Like, all of that stuff takes way too long. I, I get what you guys are saying because, uh, at, you know, at surface value, this looks like it should be just absolutely idiotic. And it's not. Ernest Dickerson is a respected name. 
and he puts together a much mo much more coherent movie than you're expecting with this. Um, and so it's stylized and it's patient in a way that I wasn't expecting, but I just think that second act drags. Like, I feel like they could have hyped up way more getting to the action. So I do want to clarify. I didn't have a blast with this film. (laughs) Oh, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not defending it. Uh, artistically as though I really enjoyed it. I'm just saying when I got through the first two acts, I was like, huh, this isn't bad. And the third act changed my mind. But yeah, so that's that's the perspective I'm taking. So yeah, it's not like I was glued to the television while I was watching it. I kept waiting for the line, but Black Dynamite, I sell drugs to the community. <laughs> it, did, it did have a Black Dynamite feel. Dynamite, dynamite, uh, I, on the other hand, didn't like any of the movie. Uh, I thought it was all bad. I get what it is supposed to be. It's this this homage to black exploitation seventies movies, which we all know Snoop is a huge fan of. Uh, There's also a number of still living people from that era that could participate in this besides Snoop Dogg. And look, Snoop has never been a great actor, but Snoop wasn't even a good actor No, at this point. He's also way too iconic. You can't believe him in other roles. Right. He is Snoop Dogg. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, not even a knock against him. It's like you can't overcome that. I just thought the writing was atrocious. And like, I knew I wasn't going in this to see Casablanca or anything, but it just... Not even Casablanca? Blacka? I have it didn't a, do anything for I me. have a legitimate question, and maybe you guys can answer. Maybe I just didn't pay enough attention. Why does Bones return? Is there an event or revenge. something? Revenge, boy! Yeah, I get the revenge, but what brings him back? The dog. How many decades have we been waiting? They found his body, right? Yeah, they find his body. The dog is returned, which is... When they're redoing the club, they find his body and dig it and up. And his bones get up he and start tired. slashing with his claws while they're trying to pour holy water on him. Oh, oh. Wait a minute. He gets tired of That's hearing Nightmare the mixtape. That's Nightmare 3, my bad. And he gets up, and he turns off the mixtape, and he's like, well, I'm up. I'm taking revenge. And I'm dressed like The Undertaker. Have you seen any full core when okay. he disrupt the, disturb the bones? Okay, so we're all good with that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm not I'm good with any of it. Because that's the thing I couldn't figure out. I was like, what brought him back? We do all this fucking drawn-out build-up. You don't want to do that in this building. Maybe his daughter coming in. They really did. They're really not clear. Let's how about? But his daughter comes back in the building. There's something that. Uh, how about the the dog puking maggots? Oh man, yeah. <laughs> and the maggots everywhere. I was just going to yeah. make a big pitch though that that a friend with weed is a friend indeed. <laughs> <laughs> a friend with gold is the best. I'm told. <laughs> That's the setup. Just no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the dog barfing back in. <laughs> it gets in people's drinks. Oh. All right, Toddy, wrap it up. Let's <laughs> take right. us home. So we find out that the Pamgers daughter is Bones' daughter. What? The, the um, daughter. The 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 his his friend that sold him out is the father of the the boys that are opening the club. Opening the club. The father didn't know they were going to open the club there. Yeah, so, um, so Bones Bones is back, um, which is uh, every time they like totally nineteen 
uh, let's see, part four, Freddy, where they literally see, see his veins come back on. Um, and then he back, and, and he killing people, and bones. Yeah. So I am going to say selling points, because, uh, again, I picked this movie. I don't think I've seen this movie since it first came out. Um, I like that there's very, like, almost, even, even the knife throwing, if you watch the extra features, like, that was even practical. So there's very little CGI. Um, I really, being asked the question how he came back, I really can't answer, so that probably would have made more sense if they were more clear. So probably one of the events happening, maybe all of the above. Um, I do agree that I feel like if they would have cast somebody else, or maybe not have Snoop Dogg talk at all, but then it's still Snoop Dogg with a with a, his hair straightener. Did they cast him because he can shape shift into a dog? Maybe. I mean, he does that in one of his early music. Videos. Exactly. Yeah, I thought maybe that's why he got the role. Um, I think the biggest things of this thing is Ernst Dickerson and Pam Greer, and. There's there's definitely some cool shots. Overall, it's not a gr- it's not a great movie. I didn't think it's a bad movie. I was gonna say just a couple of the shots, like when they're in the building and there's like those souls writhing and coming off of the walls at the beginning. That's a pretty cool shot. Um, Pam Greer's daughter when she's all bloody in that bed scene. Um, that's really creepy and pretty well done. So that's ultimately like what again. Wasn't into it, but watching it, I was like, eh, "This is better than it should be." At that point, I, f- I feel like if it had, uh, definitely the script sucks too. I mean, like the the writing's bad. I feel like if that that element was like uh, lifted up, and probably a different person playing Bones, that you know, I think this movie would have had a bigger impact. Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of a lot of singers. There's a reason you don't see them in a lot of movies where they're playing this kind of character. Because, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you're like, okay, that's Snoop Dogg. So. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I love that whole era of black exploitation films. I, I think From it's 2001. Yes, I think it's <laughs> endlessly fascinating. And so I appreciate tapping back into that because they, they do so pretty effortlessly with the past, uh, despite Snoop's shortcomings as an actor. Um, I love Pam Greer. It's no secret. I've mentioned it on the show before. I'm a fanboy, so I was glad to watch her for that. I just, I, I truly believe, and not to harp on it because I know it's an easy angle to take, but I really think that they would have cast somebody else besides Snoop Dogg. I think this would have been a much better movie. Um, I think that you needed somebody with more, you know, just more of a personality in that role that really would have made this something special because I think Dickerson directs a pretty strong movie. I think it's stylized, but I think it leans way too heavily into the cliches of that era with setting up the club in the new place. Like nobody gives a shit. It's not interesting. Even it wasn't interesting then and it's not interesting now, but I will say, I think this movie was way better than I expected. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. We talked about Snoop Dogg is already a character of himself. And so you're going to take Snoop Dogg, who's like famously laid back, and make him a murder revenge ghost? It just doesn't work, right? Are you telling I me you don't find Snoop Dogg intimidating? <laughs> it, it, it's almost like if they put Willie Nelson as Blade. Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> Willie <laughs> Nelson as Freddy Krueger. I was getting ready to make a joke. I can't 
fuck with that now? <laughs> <laughs> just broke me. Yeah, it's like Cal. His name's Calvin. Nobody's buying it. Calvin Hobbs the <laughs> Third. Willie Nelson. By the way, happy birthday when we're recording this. Willie On Nelson. the road again. <laughs> he's like, he's like, it's Freddy Krueger. Come here, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, all right, we have veered off. Now. I am digging it. Let's get my movie. Let's do more impersonations. My mind. I, uh, if you want to watch it, watch it. But I can't. I can't recommend it. But I won't like strongly deter anybody from it. Yeah, I wouldn't not recommend it, but it. I wouldn't encourage people to you're, go. You're grown. Do what you want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm. In, I'm indifferent on this. It was. It was better than I expected. But I, I wouldn't, at the same time, tell people I think they'll just, as a, a blanketed recommendation, well, like Well, I, I feel like this movie was made for, for uh, a throwback to Blackula and like, uh, like Sugar Hill, but it, it, it fell off. I'm also cautious of representation. You know, like, maybe there's, maybe there's a whole segment of people that, that appreciate having this more than... We do, yeah. As four white dudes, you know, like sure. I'm not trying to be preachy, sure. but you know, maybe there's another angle on it we're missing. Yeah. Okay. Round third, heading home. Professor's movie. Todd, what is it? Life Force, 1985, directed by Toby Hooper, written by Dan O'Bannon, <clears throat> uh, starring Steve Railsback, Matilda May, Peter Firth, Frank Finley. Patrick Stewart, uh, and narrated by John Larroquette. Patrick Stewart, best known as Jean-Luc Picard, <laughs> Star Trek, the next And John Larroquette also narrated on Toby Hooper's classic feature, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The meaning to get around to that one. One joint. Or, watch Night Court. Courts too. Uh, listen, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to take a real big drink here before I try and explain this movie away. Do it. Can I do it for you? Space Vampires. Done. Okay. So, I'm not going to get bogged down into the specifics on this because at its core, it's a very traditional movie. You have a space shuttle named Churchill that finds a large spaceship around Halley's Comet. Uh, Within the spaceship are hundreds of bat-like creatures and three humanoids. Uh, Very nude humanoids. Uh, The crew takes these three humanoids and one bat back and heads for Earth. Uh, They lose contact with mission control at that point. Uh, Researchers are dispatched to investigate. They find the Churchill destroyed by fire, and it's a dead crew. Uh, The three humanoids still are there. They escape with those. We get basically back to Earth for research. Uh, The bodies are taken to Euro Research Center in London, where the female vampire awakens drains the guard and leaves the facility in quite epic fashion uh, just destroying shit on her way she is completely nude the entire time uh, the two males awaken but are destroyed with grenades a few hours later the guard who dealt with the female is revived and displays all the same abilities meanwhile a pod is found in Texas with Col- with uh, Colonel Carson inside who is played by Steve Railsback, who played Charles Manson in our TV movie that we covered. Helter Skelter. Uh, Carlson has initially succumbed to the space girl, but he attempted to destroy it all when he then fled in a pod. Uh, Carlson is psychically linked to her, reveals that she is shape-shifting, and we go kind of on this bizarre exploration 
uh, into dealing with the shape-shifting on Earth. Um, kind of a wild goose chase uh, where they get them out of London kind of on purpose uh, so that they can act there. The two males actually survived as soldiers and have infected most of London. And so that's the main meat of the story. That's, it's, yeah. it's, without getting too drawn into the specifics, aliens brought back to Earth infiltrated. You don't want to explain every carnival tent in this movie? Yes. <laughs> I, I like to call it Dracula in space. Um, so, do we have anything on kind of the setup of this movie? Had anybody seen Angel? this before? This yeah, time? Yes. First time for me. First time for me. I, I have... So, I this movie's always been on my radar, though I never knew what it was, because of... Uh, I hate saying this, but my sister had a little Orphan Annie fan magazine. <laughs> there was an uh, advertisement for Fango that had one of the vampires, like where their their life is sucked out of them, on the cover that scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> um... And then when this came out from Scream Factory, which has been a while, um, it's the first time I watched it. So, so was for the podcast. Was this your first viewing? Uh, this is like second, probably probably second or third. Okay, cool. Yeah, this wasn't something that I consumed back anywhere near when it came out. It, the Scream Factory release is, is okay. what got me on board with it. Um, this has been in a short stack of movies uh, for probably a year now of one. Ones that I wanted to make sure we covered on the podcast, mainly for Toby Hooper, uh, which coincidentally you picked one as well. But I thought that really for as as great of a career as he'd had, since we weren't doing a special on him, this is one that I'd been wanting to cover. Uh, and because I think not only from a creepy standpoint, but also just a respect standpoint, I think Matilda May is magical. Uh, I think she is epic. I think it's a bold performance, her walking around stark naked but also effective, where you're not just focusing on the middle school attention of a naked woman, but she is also uh, pretty striking in the performance. Uh, so this was probably my third viewing for it. So this is one I, I had planned to want to cover, though. Any other thoughts on the, the setup for it? I think you nailed the setup. Um, I just to comment on some of the stuff from the setup. I I was just fascinating that the, the the ship that they find. I think this is 153 miles long. They're like, what? What in the hell is that? Like, just to think about that. Like, 153 miles. It's just epic. It puts it. It immediately sure. puts the film in an epic scope. And so maybe what they couldn't do with sci-fi effects and money, they could do with dialogue. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. If that makes sense. Well, I think that in a lot of ways, this is the peak for Hooper. Yeah. And he doesn't return from it. Uh, maybe because the movie doesn't land completely. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's wildly entertaining, and it's interesting to see him with full backing behind him. This is this is big time. Well, this, and so this that's why I wanted to cover first it. First movie of his three-picture deal with Canon. Yes. Good point. Which he did Texas Chainsaw 2. And uh, Invaders from Mars. Yes. Which he was supposed to redo. Which, uh, which are all fucking bonkers. Cause, well, O'Bannon. Like all, O'Bannon also, so O'Bannon writ, uh, wrote Alien and Return of the Living Dead. Yes. And I don't know what happened with because Hooper was supposed to do Return of the Living Dead. Dan O'Bannon is such a fascinating mind for sci-fi. But yeah, this it's was, cool uh, that he was involved with this, this was the first of the three-picture deal, which also, if you've seen canon films, though, like... They are what they are, which usually they're fun. They're usually not, um, they're cheap movies. 
So I don't I don't remember this movie when it came out to be honest, other than like I said that Fingo, which scarred me. Um, but I can imagine they probably didn't put a lot of money into like also advertising the film. Um, yeah. Because again, it's canon. So. Yeah. And I, I think much like what we discussed earlier in this epi- very episode with the Funhouse, there's there's just something lacking that's keeping it from catapulting into big time beloved territory. Yeah. Because Hooper's talent puts it right up there, but there's just something missing. Anything else before we jump into the the last act here? I just really liked the the space bat, the dead space bat people. I thought they were neat. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like this is really weird and creepy. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and just I th- I think the scenes of draining life were pretty neat. To, mm-hmm. to the they were. I'm the, looking over and all I see on his uh, notes blue is lightning. talking about her walking around naked. So I'm not sure where you're getting. <laughs> yeah, he's just got drawings of breasts <laughs> all over his page. <laughs> Uh, needless to say, when the doctor gets drained, there's blue lightning. Yep, I was going to say, blue lightning would surely get the attention of the I, show. I knew very quickly when this started that this movie was for me. Uh, <laughs> how, many, how many people in this you movie mean, are in you got, space? You got, you got horror, Toby Hooper, sci-fi... Titties, Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart Blue Eighties Lightning, Blue like lightning, it's Patrick all Stewart, there. Kissing men, it, it's all there. Uh, there's this is the full meal you've never been served. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, the actor, like we said earlier, from Helder Skelter, who played Charlie, uh, and he played Ed Gein. I I really I, this I've enjoyed I enjoyed this more than I have a mash pick in a long time. Uh, as a first time viewing of a movie, I don't think it's a perfect film, uh, but it's it's that great feeling of '80s sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, it's bonkers. It's it's a canon film. Yeah, it's it's the best way to describe this is it's if you're interested in that era yeah. and you've watched a lot of the movies from it, this is the one where you go. There's still one left. <laughs> this is the one nobody's mentioned. Like it, it, there's a there's so much fun to be had in it. So jump into the third act. Anybody yeah. got anything? Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so as we as we've mentioned, uh, we've we've really had our vampires permeate London, and we've got the two male vampires specifically doing so. I wanted to say real quickly, we we've kind of not glossed over. You may have mentioned it, but there's there is an overtone throughout the whole film that men are captivated by this female vampire yeah. and they can't restrain not mention that. Yeah. Good point. And so everyone keeps bringing that up. They're like, man, it's all so fucked up, but I can't stop looking at her. You know and I'm, and like I'm here to say that it makes sense <laughs> yeah. because when she walks completely nude through scenes, I just kind of stare like a moron. Todd, how do you feel? I, I lit a match and <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Medusi. Okay, so we've got most of London that's been permeated with this. Uh, martial law is out. We've got kind of a, a lot of the elements of a zombie movie at that point, where we've got it spreading through, which is fun because it's really cool. Yeah, you you you've really gotten to touch on a lot of different things you like. So you've kind of got that, uh, you know, Amblin aspect. With the, the grand scale of this, but you also have the 80s excess sci-fi horror. 
uh, tons of nudity. I mean, you are hitting all of the check marks for what you rented movies the for in the eighties. Because you get Patrick Stewart in a wheelchair. You that see how too. that happened. Uh, the special effects makeup is good throughout. You get gore, you get the visual effects. It's a large scope movie. It's it's almost too much for us con- to consume, which is why I don't think it's mentioned as much. Yeah. But you really hit all of these marks. Uh, so we have a zombie m- movie basically in effect at this point. We have an epic showdown amidst uh, the outbreaking of the chaos uh, that we've unfolded here at the end. An ancient weapon of leaded iron impales and kills these space vampires. We also learn that they have periodically visited Earth, which has helped create the legends of vampires over the years that we know here. Uh, We impale the vampires, including the space girl, which is impaled by Carlson himself. And they ascend up to the circling spaceship over London and leave... Thus, solving our widespread issue for the movie. Thoughts? You know, he essentially sacrifices himself to save the world. Yeah. And let's not, let's not underestimate the fact that we have our two leads nude <laughs> doing so <clears throat> out in the middle of London. Like, this is, this is canon, and not in the sense of our usual term of canon. This is the brand canon. Absolutely bonkers. But still at the same time, not too bonkers. It it's it's our crazy but not too crazy finish to the movie. Good. It's fucking insane. Golan and Globus. Yeah. Hit us again. <laughs> so yes. Oh, I love Thoughts. It. I loved it. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> I obviously had fun with it. <laughs> I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm on a pretty good streak here with mash picks, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> Todd had seen it. So. I, I enjoy it, so it's a, it's a good time. Uh, and I will, I will and Todd say, doesn't need the nude breasts for his enjoyment. He's yeah, still they, he's still well, lots of nude men though too. But I will say that's true because I, I I definitely so I can't I don't remember when Scream put this out. Like obviously probably around the twenty. This was 2010s. another pretty early, I think. But um, definitely had uh, species was definitely out at this point. I don't think Life Force was on my radar when Species came out, but man, like I would say Species was a huge. Um, obviously, it's not the, exactly the same movie, but it has like the same tone where it's just like naked aliens. And didn't the director from Hunchback do one of the Species movies or something else it's connected. tied into that? It's all connected. It's all circular. It's the circle of life. So, <laughs> I, I personally would like to thank you for picking this one. Thank uh, you. I was talking to, to a friend of the show, Buff Tetro, the other day and said, I just watched Life Force for the first time and he just gives me this you fucking amateur look. <laughs> like, he's like, oh really? He's like, I've got a... I've got a, a an original one sheet poster of it hanging in my house. Like he's like, yeah, that's yeah. that's good to hear though, because like I said, I have like a stack of ten movies that specifically I have saved yeah. for this show. This is one of them. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy to hear that it went over well. Yeah, enjoyed it because it's it's a little out there, but for, it's fun. For I recommend this to the real ones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like this movie is a great example of what what making a movie at Canon was though that like. He just came in and they're like, well, we're going to do this and, and the kitchen sink and there's vampires and it's aliens and zombies. And they're like, yeah, man, do whatever you want. We're going to make He-Man next. Yeah, this is pretty much the height of the 80s out of control. 
Yeah. You literally have sci-fi, horror, adventure, money, excess. It's Ooh. just all there. And that blue it's lightning a money. Blue lightning Got money. Got that blue lightning money, boy. All right. Awesome. Very good. I recommend this pretty much to anybody. For sure. If you're listening to this show after 200 episodes, watch the goddamn movie. Or should I say, for shizzle. Bones. Call back for shizzle. Call back to Bones. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in to another MASH. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I've been joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot toddy. Stay scary. Yeah, boy. <laughs>